when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of From Hostage to Hero. Today, we're going to be talking about limiting belief number five. So we've been going through the limiting beliefs in the last several podcasts, starting with um, that you believe there's a formula or the right way to do this. Then we talked about how you have to be like, or you at least think you have to be like so-and-so famous trial attorney to win cases. Then we talked about how you believe your stories. And last time um, we talked about how you think that the jurors are the enemy. So we've gone through four of them so far. Today's the fifth one that I want to talk to you about, which is you believe, and this is a limiting belief, that winning is the only acceptable outcome. You know, one of the reasons why, if we go back to limiting belief number four, which is jurors are the enemy or, or you believe that they're the enemy, and they aren't, of course, but I think one of the reasons why that belief is so enticing is because the real fear is the fear of losing. And when we fear losing, we look for an enemy. And of course, jurors are the easy target. So of course, we can blame it on them if we lose at trial. Now, we talked about that last time, so I'm not going to go into that in depth. But closely tied, of course, to this is the idea that winning is the only acceptable outcome, meaning this is the only thing that you will accept. So I want to talk about why this belief is so troublesome and why it can actually get in your way in terms of trial. There are three basic things that come up for me around this idea of winning being the only acceptable outcome. And I want to talk about those in depth. But before I get there, let's just talk about how common this is. And I I don't mean to say that I don't get why uh, you would want to win. All right. This is a big deal. Winning is what we're in this for, right? We take our cases to trial because we think we can win them. Otherwise we settle them. And so then when we go to trial and we don't win, it's just so devastating on so many levels. And we're going to talk more about that in limiting belief number six, which is also closely related to this one. But I want to talk today specifically about why having winning as your ultimate goal doesn't serve you. And that sounds like it, it's absolutely asked backwards because most of you, when you hear me talk about this at seminars or in my programs, you think at first that I've lost my marbles because we all want to win, right? This is the thing. This is why we're in this. Like you're telling me, sorry, that I shouldn't want to win. No, I'm not telling you that. So let me be really clear. I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't want to win. You should want to win. You should want to win very much. In fact, if you don't care about winning, then you really shouldn't be going to trial. I mean, that should be one of the driving factors, of course, of why you're going because you think you can win. What I am suggesting, however, is that only having that as the only acceptable outcome is a completely different thing entirely. 
And, and here's what I mean. So my coach has told me this, and I just love this. She says, you need to be 100% committed and 100% unattached. And what she means by that is that you absolutely show up in your life with whatever it is we're talking about. Here we're talking about trial. Absolutely 100% committed to doing your part, the part that you can control. But you are also 100% unattached from whatever is outside of your control, which really brings us to the first issue with thinking or holding this limiting belief that winning is the only acceptable outcome. And that is you can't control whether you win or not. Now, don't mishear me. You absolutely can affect whether you win or not. There are things you can do in your own private practice and and growing yourself as a trial attorney, which is so much of what my work is about, and getting new skills and, and reading new books and attending CLEs. All those things can help and affect the verdict, yes. But ultimately, you do not have control over the verdict. And that is a completely different thing entirely. And thinking that you do is what causes you all kinds of stress and worry. Because when you only accept that winning is the only acceptable outcome, you by default are saying that you somehow have control over that. And when you realize that you don't, it actually affords you a lot of freedom. Because let's face it, (laughs) you don't have control. Those 12 or eight or six individuals in that box are the ones that will ultimately decide the fate of your case. And until and unless you can accept that and release it, you can't do what you're meant to do in trial, which is focus on the work at hand. Focus on what you actually have to do now, which really brings us to the second piece uh, when we're talking about why this is so problematic is first, you can't control it. But second, winning occurs in the future. It doesn't occur now where you have the most power. So if you are so focused on winning, then all of your focus and all of your energy energy is on this event that hasn't happened yet because this happens at the end of the trial. And then you miss all of these opportunities that are right in front of you because you're so focused on making sure this one thing happens that you miss the opportunities that are flying right in front of your face. I've seen it happen over and over again. There's such a fear of losing that the attorney doesn't try things, doesn't risk things, is so concerned with the outcome that they aren't doing the things that they can do right now in the moment that will make the biggest impact on trial. And finally, the third thing that I see all the time is that if you are so focused on winning, you will communicate it. I mean, think about this for a minute. You've heard me say many times that body language begins in the brain. If you are focused on winning, if that is the only acceptable outcome in your mind, don't you think that the jurors will pick up on that? I mean, they already think that you will do anything to win. You will lie, you will cheat, you will steal, you'll do anything. We don't want to do anything to add to their already preconceived notions about who you are as a trial attorney. And this intense focus on winning is not doing you any favors because it will come through to them, non-verbally or otherwise, that that is the only acceptable outcome for you. 
Listen, when we look at this in terms of being 100% committed and 100% unattached, so many attorneys say to me, I don't understand what you mean by that. So let me let me tell you a story. So I was once invited to come and speak at a event um, at a big law firm up in Seattle. And you may have heard me tell this story in a, in a seminar or on another podcast, but I'm going to say it again here because this is a perfect example of how to remain unattached. And so when I arrived, the HR director says to me, I've got to warn you about our COO. And I thought, uh-oh, you're not a great communicator if you need people running ahead of you and warning everyone about your uh, impending presence. <laughs> and so I said, yeah, what's the deal? And she said, well, he's kind of a loose cannon. So I just don't want you to be caught off guard. If you know he says anything, it might just throw you off. And I said, well, great. Thanks for the warning. And so here I am setting up and all these people have come in for this training, these top level people, all of them worked at a law firm for 20, 30 years. They have several branches all over the United States. And I'm there to do a training called Don't Shoot the Messenger. Wasn't there to teach trial skills. It was just all about general communication. And this particular seminar that I teach, Don't Shoot the Messenger, is all about how do you deliver negative information without being shot, so to speak, without becoming, you know, the bad person. And so as I'm setting up the seminar, all these people who come in for these trainings two to three times a year, and they really know each other well, and they enjoy these things, kind of like a mini retreat. Uh, They're sitting, talking, getting their pastries and their coffee. When opens the door, this guy stands there and he goes, how many times have I had to tell you to shut this door? Everyone can hear you down the hall. And here I see the people and they're all standing there. all look down and they all get real quiet. I thought, well, there he is. Here's the, the bully in the group. So the training gets started. There's 12 people plus the COO. So he's the odd man out. Everyone's working in pairs. And I'm in a part of the training where I talk about how you want to make sure when you're delivering negative information that you put that information on some kind of visual. So if you're standing in front of a group, you want to have that visual like on a flip chart or a PowerPoint. If you're working one-on-one with someone, you have to give like a performance review, for example, you're going to want to have that actual performance review in front of you. So there's something that both of you can look at. And the reason for that is so that it can help you breathe and maintain composure. And if the person does have an emotional reaction to the bad news, they have somewhere to look. They don't, you have somewhere to look, they don't have an audience, so on, so on and so forth. And so as I was teaching this in the seminar, the CEO just on cue, or not on cue, so to speak, but on cue with what the HR director had warned me about, he just belts out. He says, if anyone were to give me information like that, I would think that they were a coward. Now, in that moment, I had a choice. I knew I had to handle it because just like at the beginning of the training when I was setting up and he had said what he had said about it being so loud and keeping the door closed, everyone looked down. So they looked down again now when he had said what he said. So that told me in terms of the group that the group was feeling unsafe and that my job as the person in charge, I had to create safety for the group, which means I had to shut down the bully. So what I did is I said to him, that's because you love to argue. Now notice I didn't say that's because you love to argue. Notice the pitch or the tone in my second way that I just said it. I am definitely attached. I am communicating. I am personally offended that you have interrupted my seminar and now I'm going to let you have it. That's very different than the first way I said it, which was that's because you love to argue. That tone communicates, I'm just giving you information, which you can either receive 
or reject, but I am not personally attached. I mean, how could I be? The HR director had said that he's like this with everyone. It's literally not personal. So I can't take it personally. And therefore I am not attached. It's, it's no skin off my nose how he reacts, but I know that I care more about the group than about how I am perceived by this one individual. And so he looked at me shocked that I would say something like that and took a moment and then, and then said back to me, you know what? That's so true. I do love to argue. And then I had him the rest of the training. Now, I use that story for a variety of reasons about how to shut down bullies and how to breathe well and blah, blah, blah. The point of the story here in today's podcast is to clearly communicate to you that that is an example of not being attached. It would be so easy, again, for me to have been personally attached, to be personally offended, and to have reacted in that way. Was I committed to having a successful seminar? Yes. Did I want a successful seminar? Yes. Could I control this man's behavior? No. Therefore, the success of my training was out of my hands. If it got derailed because of this bully, it gets derailed. I can do everything I've been trained to do on how to deal with a heckler slash bully, group dynamics, all the things I'm trained in. But ultimately, he's going to choose his response and I'm going to choose mine. I cannot make or force the seminar to go the way that I want it to go. I can do everything possible in order to make sure that it's a success, but I ultimately can't guarantee that it's a success. And the same thing can be said about trial. So yes, you should care very much. You should care about your client. You should care about the outcome. But what you can't be is attached to the outcome because that creates pain for you. For the reasons that we stated, the fact that you cannot control it, the fact that if you continue to focus on it so heavily, you're going to communicate it, the fact that it it happens in the future and it takes you out of the present moment, which is where you have the most power. All of those are reasons for letting go of this limiting belief that winning is the only acceptable outcome. It's not. In fact, acceptable or not, it's just, quote unquote, not even (laughs) the only outcome right? I mean, there are two outcomes that could happen. You could win and you could lose. And if you want to be a healthy trial attorney, okay, you have got to to know and accept, not just know, because I think you know that both of those options are a possibility, but accept that both options are a possibility and start deciding that you are going to measure your success against something else, a different criteria. And this really comes down to this idea of redefining what we mean by winning. I mean, what do we actually mean by winning? You guys think that it's a verdict and a number, okay, that that's a real win for you. What I'm going to suggest that when we redefine winning is that we talk about this in terms of what we mean in the grand scheme of things. I mean, is it a win for you to go and take it to trial and do your best and learn from the experience even if you lose? Some of you may answer that and say, no, it's not a win. Well, I'm gonna suggest then that you're gonna have a very unhappy, long, unhappy career. I mean, it just you just are because no matter how much you wanna sit here and stamp your feet and complain about it, you cannot control whether you win or not. You can control what kind of trial attorney you are. You can control how you respond 
to wins and losses. You know, it makes me think about when I um, went to lunch with uh, David Sugarman. He's a a really great trial attorney here in Portland. And uh, he just recently won a verdict against BP oil for $420 million. He had come to a Power of Presence seminar where Bill Barton had spoke, and Bill Barton was talking about how he doesn't take, take the losses personally. He was talking about this very thing. And as David and I were talking over lunch and discussing what Bill had talked about, you know, David said, you know, I so agree with Bill. You can't take the losses personally, but I've also realized that you can't take the wins personally. And what he was saying, and what all good trial attorneys know to be true, is that we all, meaning you guys, take cases to trial that and win that we should have totally lost. And then we all take cases to trial that we should have totally win, uh, won, and then we lose. There really is... Not a lot of rhyme or reason in many of these cases. You go in there and you control your part and the outcome is out of your hands. Look, I'm telling you this for a variety of reasons. I'm hoping you let go of this limiting belief for a variety of reasons. First and foremost, I let I hope you let go of this because it's ultimately going to affect your happiness and your contentment with your job. If you keep making winning the gold standard of everything you do, you will be unhappy. I see it all the time. That's really the first reason. But the second reason is that if you let go of this, you can really focus on what you can control and focus on becoming the best trial attorney you can. And you'll find, I tell you right now, that you will start winning more than you lose when you let go of winning being the only acceptable outcome. I mean, it's just like anything else. The the stronger or the tighter that we hold on to it, it's like we can't keep our grasp on it. But the minute we let go of it, It just seems to float into our lap effortlessly. That's what I hope for you. And so much of what you're doing with me on this podcast or those of you who work with me as a coach, so much of what our work is, yes, I've got the trial skills I can teach you and that's a majority of my work. But now I'm realizing and really focusing more as I move through through this work and into the future about how much the skills are not enough that it's really your mindset that is going to make the biggest difference both in your life and in trial. So let go of this limiting belief that winning is the only acceptable outcome. It's not. And it's not the main purpose. You tend to think that it is, but it isn't. Your job is to go and fight. It's not to go and win. If you go and you fight and you're successful at that, then you're a success regardless of what the jury brings back. That's what I want to remind you of. Alrighty. Well, our opening statement studio, if you want to come and learn some of those skills I was just talking about is in July 18th through the 21st, I believe. You can check our website, sorrydlm.com for more information on that. We have a few seats left. Be a great time for you to come and learn the nonverbal skills. As you might imagine, nonverbal skills are difficult to talk about in a podcast. So those are the the live events that I'm putting together um, right now, where you can come and work in a small group in front of two mock juries and really learn this shit, you know, in your marrow, in your bone marrow. After four days, you're going to learn a lot. You'll be exhausted, but you'll learn a lot. Well, until next week, you guys have a great week. I hope this has been helpful and we'll talk soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of From Hostage to Hero. But head to our website, sorrydlm.com for other must-have resources from Sorry Delamart. 
Read the transcript of this podcast, watch trial tip videos, or download your free copy of Sari's article, Why Jurors Hate the Hobby Question. We're glad you joined us today. And until next time, remember that to lead a hostage to freedom, you must first free yourself.